folks. This is Fergus Hodgson. I'm managing editor of the Impunity Observer. This is a geopolitical publication, uh, investigative uh, journalistic endeavor. And uh, we have today our first roundtable. So I'm, I'm so pleased to join you live. This is our first live stream. And I have my two colleagues, both researchers based in Ecuador. That's Paz Gomez and Mauro Echeverria. I hope I pronounced that, that one correctly. And uh, the basic goal here is to examine the work we're doing in a more, let's say, palatable form, not just in written form. So we can, we can discuss a topic that we've been researching, writing about in a more, more informal manner. And the topic this month is the riots, or let's say, I, I call it terrorism, but uprising in Ecuador. And, but if you want to get more details, and if you want to subscribe, please go to impunityobserver.com. We'd love to have subscribers. We need all, all your support. And uh, I just, I'm very proud of the work we're doing and would like to see it grow. So the article which we've published on this, we have another one in the works, is, le is titled, Leftist Rioters Paralyze Ecuador to Topple President. And this one has a heck of a lot of meat in it by Andreas Sebastian Diaz Ponce. He is the uh, author of it. We're not, we don't have him live because his, his Spanish is his dominant language, but we have Moro and Paz in Quito, Ecuador right now to, to talk about it. So before we get into, I guess, the, the, the deeper explanation of what's going on, what is the latest on the ground? Have the riots or blockades subsided after beginning about one month ago? Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here uh, today, uh, starting these roundtables and talking about Ecuador, what happened uh, two weeks ago here in the country. Basically, after 18 days in riots, this was uh, blockades and everything, so people on the productive sector was not able to, to get, go ahead. The government started a dialogue with main sectors that were uh, protesting. In special, indigenous groups, um, the drivers of trucks and things like that, they are also part of the dialogues. And the idea is to get into the 10 petitions that are more labor rights, more subsidies to the, uh, to the gasoline. That is something that, that was already achieved because that was the way in which the riots ended. But there are other 10 points, for instance, there was shortage of medicine, so they are also discussing how uh, medicine in public hospitals is going to be delivered and supplied in a timely and uh, and good way, and things like that. So uh, now we have passed, I think, that is 15, 20 days of these dialogues, and they have 90 days in total in which they have to uh, discuss all these topics, and after that we are going to see what is going on, if they accept the disagreement or if they not accept this agreement, what is going to happen. Right, and so just to clarify for folks, six people have died during these riots, although two of them died not necessarily from the riots directly, they were basically on their way to the hospital and were blockaded and therefore died, of course, that would otherwise have been treated. Now, Moro, do you want to clarify, so does that mean that all the blockades have subsided? The violence has all subsided now? Uh, the violence regarding uh, the riots, yes, partially, uh, because we're still trying to see if the government and the indigenous organizations reach a final agreement in these 10 topics that they have been requesting 
these petitions regarding oil production, natural right. resources. So partially yes, but we're still waiting for the final agreement in all the 10 topics that they are discussing right now. So basically thousands of people became violent in June and they made a bunch of demands. And unfortunately the president Guillermo Lasso I guess he just he said he would sit down and come to some kind of agreement with them rather than enforce the law. It is concerning to me now, just for a bit of context for people who are not familiar with it, what is this National Indigenous Confederation, CONI, and how democratic is it? What is its relevance or actual, let's say, authority to speak on behalf of Indigenous people? That, that is, in fact, a, a great question because how can this organization like talk on behalf of every indigenous well it's kind of tricky because there are different organizations that speak on behalf of indigenous groups uh, but this one is certainly the strongest one in ecuador uh, however they don't necessarily speak in, in on behalf of every indigenous because some of them were not even like in favor of the riots because they needed to produce and to keep working so it's kind of difficult, but they have a lot of political power. And through the past years, since the 2019 protests and riots here in Ecuador, they have continuously grown and gained a lot of political power. So it's difficult because they don't necessarily represent the entire indigenous communities in Ecuador. Right. And there is this organization, the man's name is Isa. So the man who leads is Kona'i, and this is, this is one of the scary elements. And also for some context, there was a similar uprising in 2019, which basically set a precedent. And I think in 2021, or was it earlier this year, there was an amnesty granted to all those who had committed crimes during that time. So they're almost rewarded for it. Now, this man, Isa, has written a book, Outbreak, and what's what's the Spanish translation of outbreak? What's this? What's the original word? El estallido. This is an important quote that people should know. The light at the end of the tunnel is the beloved, desired, and urgent statement: "Give us Indian American communism or suffer barbarism." So this gentleman, if I can call him that, he is not hiding at all his strategy. It is intimidation to get what he calls Indian American communism. I don't know what that is exactly. And he will use, yes, road blockades, extortion, raids, looting. And do you want to comment, since we, we, we obviously cover all sorts of topics in Latin America, about is it actually coordinated with the movements, similar uprising or similar violent events in Chile or Colombia, or they just copying each other without actually working together. Do we know that? I think it's kind of both. If you remember in 2019, they were almost in the same time. Even in Ecuador, it started first, for instance, than in, than in Chile. Then uh, Chile, Colombia have worse events than, than Ecuador, but they happened in a similar way and in, in similar moments. I think that there is a coordination. Also, it is important to see that uh, these kind of riots that uh, last for more than two weeks need a lot of financing. And this financing needs to get from somewhere. So the intelligence and secretary of the state is estimating that these riots of 18 days cost around 
15 to 20 million dollars. So who is giving this money is not only Konaye and uh, and the uh, indigenous people. So maybe they have legitimate petitions, but this has uh, this is also coordinated by someone else. And uh, what we can see behind is uh, two things, and there is what why what we are trying to keep uh, investigating is uh, for one front is uh, drug traffickers, and in the other front is uh, people that is now opposition, the leftist uh, the leftist politicians and especially the radical leftist uh, movements such as such as Nenida Sisa because Nenida Sisa is also part a leader of the radical wing of Konaye. Okay. Yeah, it is hard to know. We we are exploring this. Who exactly is funding this operation? And the return on investment is terrible because the what's the latest estimate of the economic cost to the country? And, and this is only the immediate costs, right? Mauro, have you looked on, into that? Yeah, uh, according to the Ministry of Production here in Ecuador, the, these entire uh, 18 days of riots cost around like a billion dollars to the country. Some of them to private companies and some other to like public state companies. So this tells us that the losses from these riots in 2022 have been worse than the ones from 2019, according to Diario Expresso. So it's like, it's really huge. And in, apart from that, we've got, we've been recovering from the pandemic economically. So it's only affecting ourselves. Yeah, self-inflicted pain. Yeah, and yeah. It, like you said, it's a, it's an extremely vulnerable or sensitive time for Ecuador because you're trying to get out of the whole COVID lockdown era and re recover economically. Now, there's a lot going on here. And I just want to go through a few of the, the other crimes that these protesters, not only have they been blocking roads and ambulances, they have polluted tap water pipelines with engine oil. I mean, who does, I mean, I don't know what kind of friends they think they're going to make doing that. They have blocked and trespassed on oil wells, and they've even kidnapped judges and police and military officers. They burned a police station and a bank branch. So this is some serious uh in endeavor here so why don't you tell me a little bit about this let's let's say this alliance how much actual public support does this movement have or does everyone just see them as a bunch of gangsters yes i think that that is why in their strategy they get into the indigenous movement because this kind this trend of empathy and, and that is why what people from the middle class is talking about is empathy. Empathy with the ones that do not have jobs right now. Empathy with the ones, uh, with the indigenous group. Empathy with the ones that have walked uh, through all the streets and the, and the roads to get into the capital city and protest to, uh, and, and get, uh, and have a voice of their rights and things, and things like that. So I think that they are trying to use this kind of vulnerable group which they are not necessarily, but, but this kind of vulnerable group in the indigenous movement to uh, be the face of the protests. I think that the last day was kind of confusing because in the last night, there were more attacks. Uh, two other public stations were born, more occupations and things like that. But the next day, it seems that it was going to become worse. And then they got the agreement. 
the government um, decided to raise the subsidy by 15 cents more per gallon in the gasoline. And the, it, it was and, and to have these 90 days of dialogue. And that in that way, they suspended the, the riot. Of course, that was important because they were doing more and more uh, violence and more uh, attacks. But at the, uh, and the other part was, and what is going to happen with these uh, people that have done crimes and that have uh, created turmoils? And there is not an agreement on that. There is, there is not a, a declaration or, or, or a statement saying what is going to happen to them. So I think that this creates confusion and uncertainty in people. And I think that this affects more the government than the indigenous movement and uh, the people that is protesting, was protesting. Yeah, and I just want to reassert the fact that I'm so proud of this, this work that uh, Sebastian has done. And we, we do have an English version of the article on, at impunityobserver.com. And one of, the, one of the points he makes is that the goal of the riots is to create a violent confrontation and then plead to be victims of crackdowns by police and armed forces. So the socialist agitators, you know, they can get this outrage and condemn authorities as repressive and, quote, neoliberal tyrants. And it's just very uh, peculiar that anyone would buy this, but apparently many people do buy it. They think that it's just supposedly peaceful. And I guess if you are careful enough with how you put out content and coverage and you, you downplay the violence, your violence, and then shine a spotlight on police crackdowns, it makes them seem like a bunch of aggressive guys. But the truth is the police really have lost control of the situation. Mauro, do you want to comment on that? the police really are, just, are outmanned? Yeah, it's also a difficult situation because it, it depends on the region and the city. In some parts of the Amazon region here in Ecuador, uh, some indigenous groups are really violent and mm. uh, easily kidnap uh, policemen or armed forces. So it, it's kind of difficult. And there's also this huge discussion here that... Uh, these groups can be violent because they they have been suffering for a long time. So we have to accept their violence or somehow be empathic with their violence. And it's like, no, because you your right to protest or to do public demonstrations cannot limit other people's rights to, let's say, move around the city or, yeah. or any other rights. So many people perceive it as the violence is justified given past wrongs. Exactly. Or, or like, let's say in, in rural areas, they have a lot of child malnutrition. Yes. Okay, sure. Yeah, so just because of that, it means that they can come to, I don't know, let's say Quito, the capital, and burn anything or block any roads. And it's not like that. I mean, one thing that's wrong doesn't convert the other thing two wrongs don't make a right exactly yeah Yeah. well and and sebastian made the claim that the real goal was to oust lasso from the presidency now will they be happy if he still is i guess nominally the president but all his policies are basically gone so it's really a waste you know him his presence is almost meaningless yes i think that that is an, that is this radical left part of the group that was in the protests. 
and and also uh, the, the political movement of of the former president Rafael Correa, who uh, who were interested in having him out. Also, Leonidas Isa, and that is what he says in his in his book Outbreak uh, that basically he would have to take power by force because uh, Ecuadorian people is so racial to be uh, to to vote uh, in favor of an indigenous man. Oh, they 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 would not support an indigenous candidate. Is that true? Yeah. Maybe it's true. I don't know. I don't know. No, now, Pachacutic has uh, that this indigenous uh, party has a, a, ma- a majority, a minor majority, but a majority in the legislative in the Congress in the National Assembly. So yes and no. Uh, but well, it was this intention about uh, of um, Austin Lasso, and this was because I guess that. During 15 years, if they were not more, uh, the government has given rights to different political forces. So there were people that were that were controlling the the prisons. There were people that were controlling monopolies and um, uh, public contracts, uh, public works, and things like that. So uh, when Lasso came into the into the president, when when he was candidate, people were saying, "I want to to donate for your campaign and things like that." And he had a limit of donations. In that way, he mm-hmm. was he. It was a way of saying, "I'm not going to give fa- to all favors to anyone. Uh, you can donate for my campaign, but just until a limit." So, following that behavior in his campaign, what I guess is that he uh, and his administration is trying to get the things right. But institutions are already weakened and are already taken by other political forces. So this is kind of a political clash and personal interest clash in which they want their piece of cake again. And for having this piece of cake, the best way of getting of getting it is getting Lasso out, but overthrowing Lasso. But uh, yeah. they already tried uh, by a kind of parliament vote that we have here is not a parliament system but we have a kind of that because of the mm-hmm. constitution and uh, there was not the, major- the enough majority to oust lasso from the le- in the from the legislative power b- branch they cannot use this uh, legal figure again during this administration but let's see what happens uh, governability is bad right now and lasso cannot get it get past reforms economic reforms that are important and things like that because he he has not enough approval in the gov- in the congress so it's also a thing that if he is not able to govern in the best way in that sense yeah that's the challenge and it can be very confusing from the outside because lasso is somewhat or slightly in favor of market liberalization as much as he can and yet so but and you have basically some entrenched let's say, criminal factions within government partnering with those who claim to be reformers, right, these these protesters. It's very confusing. And what do you think is going to happen? We're just, we're just waiting now for these negotiations and no one really knows what's going to come out of them, basically. Yeah, so it, it's very difficult because, like, we don't know what's, like you said, we don't know what's going to come out of this. Uh, hopefully they'll reach an agreement because, I mean, violence is not it's not good well, for it's, anyone. It's deleterious to Ecuador's status as an investment destination, right? That's the big problem. And I'll note here that, that the risk premium on investment in Ecuador has gone up by about 10%, which means that, well, I'm sorry, it doubled, and it's gone up to about 10% from 5 to 10%, which means that if the Ecuadorian government, which is already crazily indebted, 
wants to borrow more, they have to basically pay twice as much to get debt, right? So it has a tremendous, let's say, dampening on the uh, growth of the country. And it is unpredictable, but the I guess the precedent in Colombia suggests that at least there they were able to convert this violence into an electoral victory. When is the next election in Ecuador? And uh, is there a candidate trying to, let's say, ride the wave of this movement? Well, we have the local elections um, for scheduled for February 2023. So they are close. Okay. Of course, they are not going to elect the president, but all the the local governments. But mm-hmm. it is an important since we have like a decentralized political system in in territory. It is an important stake for political people. Yes, and I think that the timing is kind of crucial when they did the 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 riots, and in one month political movements have to declare which are going to be their candidates. So I guess Mm. that they are going to have a first take in the political um, environment in Ecuador in those elections, in the local elections. And then we have the presidential election for uh, 2025 in February uh, again. And maybe they are going to present a leftist um, candidate. Right now, I do not see kind of caudillo as Correa was, uh, this kind mm. of populist uh, candidate that has a lot of approval. There is not a leader uh, as as that until now, but who knows? We all, we have two years for that. Um, that in one uh, in the one situation, and in the other situation is that what what you say about the the risk premium uh, that is also important to to mention here because. During the first year of the Lasso administration, there has not been uh, basically public works, but there has been a, an important reduction of the fiscal deficit and an important increase in the in sovereign reserves. Yes. Since people in Ecuador is used to socialist policies, um, non-state policies, basically what they want is that the government should use these reserves to provide the medicine supplies and to provide uh, jobs and, and create public jobs or whatever. And now we uh, the government is facing this challenge, that is putting the finances in order or attending the short-term, assisting the short-term needs of the population, which is a, a high political cost. This political cost could be significant during the uh, local election, where, where the ruling government, uh, ruling party, sorry, can lose and the opposition parties can win more seat, more governments, local governments representation. Yeah. So basically, there's a, a great deal of tension between some sort of fiscal austerity or restraint or responsibility and placating a bunch of people who want free stuff right now. Okay. Now, Mulder, maybe you want to take this one. Do you see any problems with international coverage of what's going on in Ecuador that you want to, let's say, you want to correct or push back against? I don't see much problems with the coverage, international coverage in Ecuador. Uh, This tendency to, there's this trend of seeing things in a very leftist way and supporting uh, rioters instead of focusing on rule of law. Sure. 
Sure. That, that's kind of difficult to see from the inside because there's a different, they're presenting a different perspective, which is not necessarily the most, the correct one or the most appropriate one, according to the situation here. And also there are a lot of organizations that advocate for, let's say, environment and they, they are in favor of this protest because one of the, of the demands from uh, Konaye and indigenous groups are like less space for extractivist companies. At the same time, they are supporting cheaper oil. That's, so it is, it, it is a confusion. Yeah. They want cheap oil, but don't want to take it out of the ground. Exactly. So it's kind of difficult and they present this to, to the exterior and it doesn't make much sense to me. Right. It, it is confusing that one bit about the international coverage is just that in general, I fear, not necessarily deliberately, but journalists in the United States or the Europe or whatever who cover Ecuador do not understand how they might be played, right? Where they get one version, they get the, the peaceful protests version of events, mm-hmm. whereas really these are very violent or criminal uh, events. And my plan was to go for only half an hour here, but maybe, Paz, you want to wrap up by commenting on how these protests interact with organized crime, because my understanding is that even drug trafficking, for example, has come under pressure. There's been more enforcement from Lasso. So on the one hand, there's more enforcement, but also there's more crime going on in Ecuador. And how does this play into these protests, which, as you've noted, are very strategic in their timing politically? Right? It seems like there's, there's much more organized or careful campaign rather than some kind of spontaneous uprising because there was no real clear catalyst. So what is the relationship with organized crime in the country and these protests? Are we, do, what can you say about that if you can't say anything at all? Well, we can see as, as a modus operandi of organized crime, and we can see these in all the region. When a new uh, administration starts, they usually uprise the levels of, of violence until trying not to negotiate uh, with the governments. Ecuador is now in a, in a, in a situation that is happening this because uh, we have seen this in Mexico. We have seen this in Colombia. Now it happened in, in, in Ecuador. Uh, it already happened when the former president Moreno got into, into it. Uh, there was an uprising and they negotiated and they were, there was fine. When mm. Lasso got into the presidency, he didn't negotiate. So uh, this oh. violence uprising continued. It, they, there was a lot of violence and crime in the in the prisons because basically before organized crime was in command of these prisons, and the government stopped all the kind of privileges that were uh, hidden but that were given to these uh, organized uh, crime organizations. And this created a wave of violence. So in the capital cities of Quito and Guayaquil, it started to be, it started to, uh, to happen like cruel uh, violence and cruel crimes. So uh, there yeah. was a hanged man in Guayaquil and things like that. That was like scary for people. And of course, security yeah. per insecurity perception increased. That was uh, that is why, for instance, people say it's legitimate to, to protest against these these insecurity rise 
But we have to understand that most of this insecurity is not caused because of uh, robbers that do not have enough job and want uh, and want to st- steal food and money. This is caused uh, because of organized crime that is behind this, trying to create more disorder and more insecurity, and uh, trying to uh, trying to pressure the government to negotiate with them. So uh, that in one side, in the other side is that also the leadership in Guayaquil and, and Quito that are growing emerging cities that are becoming met- metropolitan areas and things like that is not the best leadership in our, in our history. So of course, this created more and more chaos and, and disorder. So uh, just yesterday in the capital city, Quito, we had another, uh, another attack in the, in the financial center, another crime with... Uh, yeah, arms and everything. So this is creating fear to the people. And But what you see behind is that now the organized crime organizations and these kind of criminal bands, do not, gangs, do not have the, the control in prisons. They, uh, the government has uh, confiscated more than any other year uh, in, 2000, in 2021 and 2021 yeah. of drugs. So you see that there is this kind of um, of recovery that they want to do. Another thing that was um, kind of alarming was that there were um, non non working airports in little cities of the country that were occupied by these crime organizations, and they were using them uh, freely before the before Lasso administration started. So uh, the Lasso administration put order there, uh, put security in those airports. And of course, uh, now they cannot occupy these airports uh, for for uh, drug shipments and things like that. So you see that this is the reason why uh, also these people is trying to create pressure with more and more violence. Yeah, so there's, there really is a great deal of, let's say, politically motivated crime right within the agenda. It's, it's, it's not yet to get to steal from people or to, I don't know, they're not turf wars, but really they are a war with the regime. Okay, Moto, is there any final remark you might have that, that we didn't touch upon? Just that the riots, while leaders claim that the riots were because of some uh, like popular motivation, right. it, it, it's just like, it's clear that it was just because of a leftist political agenda that is trying that this indigenous organization is trying to impose to the government. Okay, folks, if if this is if you've been tuning in live, thanks so much, and I'm just so honored to work with Paz Gomez Model Echeverria, and you can find more of their work and our work at impunityobserver.com. Please do consider subscribing, and if not getting a paid subscription you can get on our email list uh follow us on telegram twitter linkedin wherever we're on various platforms and uh, thanks for tuning in and i look forward to next month when we can have another roundtable discussion thank you for listening you all